Listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live action role playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to our Patreons for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, Thin Bloods, grab a drink in your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. My name is Mark, also known as Marcosius. And we have a very special episode today because we're going to be talking about indie gaming. I have Riley Rathal, and I apologize if I totally screwed that name up, but I've only seen it in writing. Did I? Sweet. Yeah. Excellent. So Riley Rathal is a tabletop game designer um, and developer. She is a a biology and pharmaceutical student, um, part of a, a team that's developing such a cool tabletop RPG called Doiket. It's an anthology of games depicting the Jewish experience and personal inflective interpretation of Judaism. They blasted past the Kickstarter goal and it was funded at something like 300%. Is that true? Sounds right. I I can tell you exactly what the percent was. That's wild. It's so cool. You can can try Doycat yourself by going to metagame.itch.io. it is currently on pre-order. The Kickstarter's over, fully funded, um, around 300%, I believe. And this game is going to be coming out very, very soon. So I highly suggest you try this out. It's very affordable. It's really unique. It's super interesting. Um, and we're going to talk about that and, and your history today. So thank you so much, Riley, for, for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. Um, anytime I could talk to somebody who's kind of gone into the whole game developer experience from an independent perspective, I'll, I'll jump on the chance. Hell yeah. This game's cool too. Um, you know, and if anybody's a, a listener or uh, if you talk to me on, on, on discord, you'll know that, that I myself am Jewish and having Jewish representation in tabletop RPG is sometimes lacking and having a game that focuses exactly on that and the very unique experience that each and every individual has with their own relationship with their own Judaism is really cool. And it gamifies it, not just for, for people who are, um, who do understand Judaism, but also for those people who don't, um, and kind of, I guess let's start, let's go back a little bit before we talk about that, because I want to get an understanding on, on what your first introduction to tabletop RPG was. How did you first start playing? Yeah, so this is kind of, I think this story is so funny because it really, if anything, it speaks to how like lonely I was in 2016 because literally my introduction to tabletop games was um, I, one of my Twitter mutuals was live tweeting Critical Role. I had no idea what it was. I literally like took two character names and Googled them to be like, what is she talking about? And <laughs> I found Critical Role and I was like, oh, this first episode is three hours. I don't have anything better to do. I guess I'll watch it. And so that was my introduction to D&D. <laughs> wow. And you're, you said three hours. This sounds like something I could really sit down and watch all, all the way through. Yeah, it's, um, it's a whole thing. I, I fell off of Critical Role after a couple months. It wasn't really my thing. But I was, 
I was attracted to the the actual play kind of format. And so I ended yeah. up listening to The Adventure Zone after that. And um, a little bit later, Friends at the Table. And that's when I really like fell in love with, with indie RPGs. Because I had tried to play D&D at that point before. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it just like I, I felt so anxious trying to play it. Because it felt like, oh, I'm trespassing in someone else's space. I'm going to act out of character. It's going to be bad. Like I never talked. Literally, our first game, This was, I got a Discord to play D&D, and we didn't realize until, like, halfway through the session that my audio wasn't working, because <sighs> I had been talking so little that there was no reason to notice. Oh, no. You know, I, I, I understand how that feels, though, because there's so much pressure with a new game, and you're like, okay, am I doing this right? And it's, D&D is so it's interesting, because there, there is... Role play, obviously, and if you're not comfortable with with role play or acting, right? You're like, oh god, I'm acting, and I'm not, a, I'm not an, mm-hmm. I'm not a theater nerd. What do I do? Uh, and and there's the rules too. So on top of everything else, it's like, okay, what dice am I rolling? And okay, the, there's math. Okay, and I forgot my character's name already. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Um. For me, like, I actually have. I mean, not like anything special acting experience, but I've done, you know, a bunch of theater camps and stuff, which is also funny because looking back, I definitely, the stuff I really liked about theater had way more to do with like telling collaborative stories than actually the acting part, but that's a whole Mm -hmm. other thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I definitely, I've learned through getting more into indie RPG stuff is that like my taste in games are very indie, you know, like I don't even like powered by the apocalypse stuff because like that's too role play e i want to do meta narration i want to talk about like the politics of the world and like what the characters are thinking and how they interact with it i don't want to talk as them <laughs> uh, yes yeah, so you you go deep and you like that cut those kind of meta conversations about w- what kind of themes are we exploring here yeah d- i mean you know metagame.itch.io <laughs> i'm a big fan of that too like i like when um I like when you're sitting at a table and the GM or whatever fancy name that that particular game decides to name it um, Mm -hmm. goes, what is your character thinking? Not so much like, what do you say? Oh, what do you do? It's like, what do you guys think? Or how does your character feel about that? And then you start exploring like the emotional impact of a particular situation. And uh, you can only do that through descriptions, not in character, but almost talking about them as if they're a different person. Um, and it's cool to kind of explore some of that, that the meta analysis in game. Yeah, definitely. And there's also like something I think is really good to do in games is, is to talk mm-hmm. even like completely out of character, right? Like, I, yeah. like you're really just these narrators in the story to be like, okay, what do you want to happen? You're like, you know, well, I really want this to happen, but I don't know why my character would do this. And then you go, okay, well, let's figure out a way for your character to do this. There's a game that you might like, and you probably have heard of it before. Obviously, we're a you know, we're all about horror here at, at um, Gehenna Gaming. Um, and there's a game called The Final Girl. Have you heard of it? I don't think I have. It is so freaking cool. Okay, so um, one of the one of my other teammates, um, Nick, I guess like kind of ran. You know, I'm saying this in quotes. I'm doing the little quote two finger thing when I say mm-hmm. it. Um, he ran uh, Final Girl with a bunch of other people. Um, on our Twitch stream. And what's cool about it is it's it's GM-less, right? Yeah. And so everybody gets a chance to kind of like GM or run the game. And it's sort of almost the way that he, the way that they were doing it. And I don't know, I've never played this. I don't know if this is how you're supposed to, but the way that they do it's almost like you sit in the director's chair 
and you are like, where's the camera? And what's the, you know, is there anything that's going to be retconned from the last scene? And it's really cool because you, you do a lot of discussing of setting the scene and setting the table as a group before you even yeah, get involved in actually really playing. Cool. Yeah, I love, I love like setting the, the scene and you'd be like, okay, the camera sees this to be like a way to describe like, this is what's important in this scene. Yeah, in that, in that kind of style, when, and this is something I've always wondered about and thought about, especially when I'm writing my own scenario or writing a game, how do I tell a story in a non with a, with such a non-linear method, with such a non-linear um, approach, but tell kind of a linear story? And this is something I've I've, I've really struggled with, um, and really only found solutions in one shots um, where there's not like an ongoing game because you have to kind of have a beginning, middle, and end. But the way that you're describing this idea of, of kind of meta discussions and meta gaming as a art form and a storytelling tool, have you found ways to tell that a kind of linear story in such a nonlinear collective way? Um, I mean, I'm also a huge fan of one shots, mostly because, yeah. first of all, I'm not a huge fan of like the more traditional games used for campaigns, just like they're not my kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And also just because me and my friends are bad at getting together again and planning things. Um, <laughs> I feel that in my soul. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think a lot of, um, especially a game I've been thinking about a lot recently, because um, I, I might be hyper fixating on planning a Kickstarter, even though I'm not in a position to do one right now, um, is called It's Been a Long, Long Time, where um, it's, it's basically about two characters who are in love and then are separated, and then the end is like their reunion. And oh, cool. the whole thing is basically like each suit represents a different time period. So clubs are like before they met and moments when they're apart, um, like during when they're together. Diamonds are like when they're together. And then spades are when they're separated. And then when you pull hearts, you keep them until the end. And when the king of hearts is drawn, that's reunion. And you answer all the questions on your hearts cards. Um, so the whole thing is told in a very like nonlinear way. So you can go like, oh, this is a time when they were together and this thing happened. This is a time from when they were separated. And they remembered the thing that happened during when they were together and stuff. And so I, I think it's really cool to to tell that story because you can like retroactively give things meaning, you know, to be like, oh my God, wait, that ring in that earlier scene, that was actually, she gave it to her, whoa, and stuff like that. And so you, you can create all of these really cool connections and like create the story that that has all of these like in, entangling threads that you didn't even realize when you were first laying them. That reminds me of this this movie, um, and I'm I'm probably, I'm probably going to misremember what the name is called, but it's, it's directed by Richard Linklater. It's a series of films. There's two movies. Um, I believe it's called Before Sunset or Before Sunrise. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those. Yeah. And there's a, so there's two of them. One when they like these, this couple kind of meets each other in Paris and fall in love and have this like really romantic and, and kind of uh, deeply emotional connection over a period of like 24 hours or something. And then and then they leave and never see each other again. <laughs> and then there's another movie that was that was directed years and years and years later, um, it, probably like 10 years later, uh, with the same actors called Before Sunset, and they run into each other again and talk about that night and that day um, that they had with each other. And this sounds very like in the same kind of vein and really, really interesting. I like the idea, I like the concept. 
Yeah, thanks. It, yeah, you definitely could tell that story. Uh, for me, it's more based on like uh, the Captain America movies and like Black Sails. But yeah, that's definitely totally. in there. There's also um, I'm also reminded of Mummy too. There's um, uh, Onyx Path just released the second edition of of Mummy, um, and it's got this really like kind of time shifting thing going on where characters yeah. can kind of pull back and forth between periods of time. Yeah, I'm definitely so, very into the whole like um, going through different periods of time because I I love like being able to go back and be like, oh my god, wait, what if this thing has to do with this other thing? Yeah, and like the the little moments, like the um, like the the butterfly effect moments, you know, yeah. where the ring bounces off of this thing and causes this a whole bunch of other situations to happen and it explodes at the end in this very you know climactic set of events yeah i was actually i was just talking to my friend um i can't remember the exact context i guess kind of about like we were annoyed at games that have like oh like a bunch of very clear rules for like when this happens there's always going to be this um you know consequence of it and we were like right. that's only fun when you're excited about the consequences you know like it shouldn't be that every single time you meet someone and they don't like you that like causes this whole ripple effect maybe it can be the other way where you like go somewhere and someone you know something bad happens and then you're like oh my god wait what if it was because of that person that, that doesn't like us like that's way more interesting yeah, like it's because it's more complicated and and it and applies more to real life. And it it also I'm not a big fan of like rules lawyers. Yeah. You know, and and D&D I'm I'm not I don't want to talk crap about D&D or or people that play D&D. Oh, I do. Okay, let's do it. Um <laughs> D&D has a uh, it has a lot of has a lot of rules a lot to remember for new players so mm -hmm. that's that's there's a big barrier to entry there um and rules lawyery is very much a part of of dnd culture sometimes i'm seeing now there's a big movement online of people saying hey play what you play how play this game however you want who cares like screw the haters but um dnd has a lot of those kind of things where it's you know very specific things happen in a very specific order and the numbers equate to this and there's a bunch of people who have a you know encyclopedic knowledge of you know a specific edition and if you tow the line in any way whatsoever they will let you know yeah i yeah i've never played with anyone like that but it sounds more more rough than a regular experience playing <laughs> What I do want to know is, though, is is you know the difference between a game like that or 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 any kind of main, what you would consider kind of a mainstream game, mm -hmm. um, and indie tabletop. Like, if you could pick, um, the difference the differences between those two, what would they be? I don't know. I mean, I think like indie games is such a broader category. Like, there are people who are writing more traditional kinds of games, and there are people who are writing games that people don't some people don't consider games that they'd rather call them you know so like it's, it's right. a really big space personally the kind of games that i like are the ones that the only purpose that you're playing them is to create a story like i really i don't like my brain just cannot deal with the idea of like you're trying to beat this monster and also you're trying to play a character like i can only do one of those things <laughs> maybe my character is trying to beat a monster and i get to say ooh it would be super interesting if they won but like i i can't i'm i'm not good at being like i'm also just not a very like 
taking initiative kind of person a lot of the time, the GM will be like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I, I don't want to play an individual <laughs> character. That's what I do in real life. I want to the machinations of the world. Let me be in control of them for once. I can't do that in real life. You have, you have such a, like, uh, game master spirit you know what i mean like you're like i, I don't just want to play one character i want to play all characters <laughs> i don't i don't like being i don't like being a gm either because yeah. that still forces me to like that's just like playing an individual character but i have to play a bunch of them at least for me you know i yeah, just wanna, like, I, like, I just like talking about meta stuff <laughs> totally so so i want to know about something specific that you that you developed um, when I was when I was looking at um, when I was looking at the Kickstarter, there was something that stuck out to me. It's a musical that I've never heard of before, and it's called Hades Town. And you apparently developed a game called The Riot Starts, and I and I found it very very interesting. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah. So Hades Town is um, well, it was originally a concept album um, from 2010 by Nice Mitchell that was developed into a musical. Um, it actually won the Tony for best musical this past year. Or I guess wow. not the, the last year. They didn't have Tonys this year, I don't think. Whatever. Um, I have quite a few problems. Hmm? I said this year doesn't count. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, it's not real. Um, I have quite a few problems with the Broadway version and what they changed from the off-Broadway version because I, I became a fan in 2016 um, listening to, at first, a bootleg of the off-Broadway one. I listened to the concept album a lot. And then eventually they put out like a partial album of the off-broadway that they recorded that didn't include all the songs which is such a shame um yeah, and i actually i was so excited when the broadway tickets went for sale um we got my family got tickets to see it last summer um and we didn't even realize until like that weekend that we had gotten tickets for the first performance after the tonys so we got to watch the first performance of Hades Town after they had won the best musical tony which was incredible <laughs> It was a very cool experience. Also, this was before the album for the Broadway version came out. So um, I was very upset watching it, is what I'll say. Also, it was a, it was a very weird experience. Um, but by that point, I had already written The Riot Starts. I'd written that um, like a little less than a year before. Um, and it was actually like, I guess I should actually talk about what Hades Town is about first. Um, so it is the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, from Greek mythology, um, kind of told at, like with folk music. Um, so you have like Orpheus, who's kind of like you know a dreamer who's who wants you know wants to sing and just loves the world um, and you know, wants to make it a better place. Um, he falls in love with Eurydice, who's very much like a pragmatist and a realist, and you know she wants material things like you know to to survive, um, and she is she feels that Orpheus isn't giving them to her and Hades comes who who runs the underworld which is capitalist hell um and he basically convinces her to go to be like you know Orpheus can't give you anything you should come with me um and then she realizes that it is in fact capitalist hell um Orpheus comes tries to save her um with a song that the Broadway musical just ruined <laughs> and <laughs> I'm bitter about a lot of things that's one of the big ones they ugh it's I, I can't get into that. Um, and and so so uh, 
God, I'm like messing up the the myth in the musical. I mean, all the stuff in the myth is in the musical, but there some of this is just musical stuff. Um, no, you're doing a great. You're doing a great job, and it's because this is. I I actually am not really. I'm not super familiar with with Orpheus and and Eurydice. 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 See, I, I, that's how familiar I am with it. But it's it's <laughs> a, it it is, sounds like a really compelling story, and it's something that resonates uh, to me in a couple of ways. Um, yeah. And I'm sure it resonates with a, a lot of other people. Um, and the album being such a high concept album and them trying to adopt it into a musical and kind of screwing up, even though it's not a movie. Like, I feel like when you are adapting, so, adapting something to a play, those typically go really well. It's when you adapt them to a movie where things kind of go haywire and they screw up the story so, or they screw up the music or whatever. And it sounds like they kind of did the opposite with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing the thing about it is like so the original album is like they added a bunch of songs for the musical, um, sure. and some of them are you know people have opinions about like which ones are better for the from you know like which ones kind of I guess I should say like they added a lot more like narration even going from concept album to off Broadway that like is kind of like okay this is a bit much. We already know what's going on, um, but then they make that even worse in off Broadway or in the Broadway one where it's the um sorry computer was being weird um they like they kind of sounds like they watered it down a little bit yeah they definitely like basically um because it's it's a very like anti-capitalist piece of work from the beginning Um, oh yeah so you're going to broadway you kind of have to like downplay that anti-capitalism because essentially broadway has got a certain Interesting relationship yeah, with capitalism. They, they need to get the money from the people <laughs> that go to Broadway. <laughs> yeah, because you can't have um, a play that's like, okay, this is an allegory for for love and relationships in a postmodern materialistic society that is essentially has a has an anti capitalist message wrapped around it. So you, you it would work. It works in the album really well, but then when you go to off Broadway, they're like, let's tone it down just a little bit. And then you go to Broadway and they have to tone it down even more because there are investors and there are huge amounts of of rich people that go and and watch Broadway plays on a regular basis and they don't want to see a play that basically puts a mirror in front of them. (laughs) Yeah. um, the Actually, one of the most interesting things, I think, about the way that adaptation went is that in the concept album and the off-Broadway one, there's the song called Is It True? which is like basically Orpheus coming to the underworld, realizing that Eurydice like, you know, is, is gone um, in whatever metaphorical way you want to say that that is. Like, dude, you're, you're in the underworld. Yeah, she's dead. Um, <laughs> but like, he's basically, it's, it's this very like melancholic song where he's just like, if it's true what they say, like, I'm done. There's no purpose for me anymore. Um, but then in the Broadway version, they made it this like, this this like anthem of revolution where instead of being like if it's true i'm gone he's like if it's true we have to rise up and fight against you know the people who did this and and the workers who are kind of in the background for everything like get to have this moment and i literally cried watching that because i was like this is the game that i wrote (laughs) they did (laughs) (laughs) i I spent months working on this game and they just tweeted it out um (laughs) <laughs> but like that was that was incredible, and I, I the thing that's so fascinating to me about the adaptation of Hades Town is like they did that, 
But then they also go, and I didn't actually explain the end of the myth, which is Persephone takes pity on Orpheus, um, asks Hades to, you know, send him back with Eurydice. And Hades says, okay, yeah, I will. But Orpheus has, like, as they walk out of Hades, um, the place, Orpheus has to walk in front of Eurydice and he can't look back. If he looks back before they reach, you know, the, the land of the living, then she comes back to death forever. Um, and obviously, it's, it's a Greek myth. He does eventually look back. Um, and so Eurydice is gone. And so that, that's how it ends. Um, and the thing that, I, that is so frustrating to me is like, okay, you did this anthem of revolution. But then you're also changing the ending to be like, oh, well, Hades isn't such a bad guy. He's just, he's just in a real bind and he wants to help. Um, and like they have this whole, this whole thing where, where people, you know, Hermes, who's supposed to be like the narrator of this whole thing, um, is saying like, well, Orpheus, it's not a trick. It's a test. Which is so weird because that's not anywhere in there in, in the, the album or the off-Broadway musical. Like, they just added that to be like, no, 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 don't worry. Hades isn't such a bad guy. We know that you care about his relationship with Persephone because we've been developing that. We still have the song where he is very explicitly a fascist that was explicitly written about George Bush. But like, besides that, he's fine. He's a good guy. He loves Persephone. <laughs> That's it's so very weird. It's it is a very weirdly tonally dissonant Broadway musical. It sounds like the it sounds like to and, and I come from marketing, so it sounds almost like they were trying to and or it could be from the mind of the director and and whatever this individual's feelings are for the source material. Um, but it, it sounds like they were almost appealing to all audiences are like well okay let's try to get everybody here you know and so that people can resonate like here's a horrible fascist bad guy and who is not necessarily one note it doesn't sound like he's one note it sounds like he's no. really a very complicated uh character but they toned him down to be a little bit more audience friendly so that people weren't you know so people had everyone has someone that they could relate to <laughs> even the fascists even the greedy capitalists yay <laughs> yeah. so i this is it's, it's, it's interesting so you know the reason why i ask about this is because um the name is compelling the story is really compelling um I definitely want to see this or at least listen to it. Um, yeah, definitely you're... listen to the off-Broadway version or the concept album. Yeah, I'm going to go That's backwards or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with the with the concept album first and work my way forwards. But you were you were inspired to create a game based on this, which is really freaking cool. Like your first your one of your first instincts were to go, this is amazing. I need to make a game out of it. Um and and I I know a lot of people fall in love with a certain piece of media, you know, and they go, Oh my God, I have to, I need to explore this or I need other people to explore this in a way that I am engaging with it or I'm falling in love with it and, and, and help them to unpack this world even more or live in this world through this game. Um, so, you know, having this, this intention to develop games based on the things that really resonate with you. Um, most people are afraid of doing that to be perfectly frank, to say, hey, you, you know that thing that you really like? Make a game based on it, or just develop a game because. What, where does that come from in you? Um, and how do you take advantage of your own momentum to kind of see through the game development 
so that you don't have to develop it or get through it. And 75% of the way there, you're like, oh, okay, this is fun, but I'm going to go do something else, which happens often with a lot of people. Yeah, that definitely, I definitely do that. I've, I've done that more than a few times. Um, with regard to adapting a thing that you like, that's very, like, like I definitely, I mean, I, I am kind of a little bit thinking about it again, but I've tried three different times to write a game based on Percy Jackson. Um, for those of you who don't know me, you may be starting to find out that I really like Greek mythology adaptations. It's true, I do. <laughs> um, but like, like that is Percy Jackson is something that is so important to me that like I, even though I just like a week or two ago had this revelation of like this is how I'm gonna write a Percy Jackson game, I still don't know if I'll be able to do it just because like it's it's one of those things that I want so deeply to be perfect that you know. Um, with Hades Town though, I didn't want to write a game based on the actual story because like that story is iconic, you know, like, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, oh yeah, it's, you, you do a tragedy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure that someone could write a really good game about that. So, you know, if you do, please at me on Twitter at jsadx, him, please, all the <laughs> games. Um, but what I really wanted to do with the riot starts, which comes from, um, a line in the song, his kiss the riot, which Hades sings about Orpheus, um, basically about like, oh God, this guy, he's going to ruin me. Um, and it kind of starts out with him being really worried um, about, like, Orpheus's influence in the way that, like, you know, there's a line, like, the kingdom will fall for a song. And then it ends with him realizing that he has to let them believe that they can get out but make it impossible. Um, which, which I think, you know, speaking about Hades being a really complex character, I think that it really does him a disservice to be like, yeah, but he's a nice guy. He loves his wife. Um, because like, like the original conception of him is so compelling as like this, this person who is completely bought into the, like the power that he has and wanting to keep it that like everything he does is completely rational, but still awful. Um, and that's capitalism, baby. Um, yeah, so it's also the nature of, of the devil too, right? Cause I mean, yeah. that's like really one of the pre historic kind of building blocks of the devil um is is hades and and humanizing hades humanizing the devil um or as a as an archetype um not from a religious standpoint but as just like an archetype that's just kind of ingrained in our culture and in our media having the devil or a devil or a hades um be kind of human um and three-dimensional and complex and kind of a nice guy, but also kind of a dick um, kind of reflects this idea that we all have that. We all have that in ourselves. Like we could, we, it, there's nothing more evil um, than the capabilities of a human being. Um, and we all have that, that little Hades inside of us. If we were to little kind of Hades. listen, <laughs> little Hades is about like maybe an inch or two tall. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the, the big thing that I wanted to do in The Right Starts, like the big um, thematic inspiration I wanted to take um, from Hades Town was this idea of like community versus isolation and the way that like those those two things interact. Um, because like all of Hades Town is about like when when people are together, when people are helping each other, then they're, you know, it, they're very hard to break apart. But when people are alone, when they feel abandoned, 
when they feel like they don't have what they need, that's when that's when people can get hurt. You know, like that's 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 the important metaphorical takeaway that I have from like the the story of Orpheus and Eurydice where where Orpheus can't look back is that like they they are even though they're walking together, they're separated because they can't see each other. And that's that's why, you know, they can't like but it's it's also what Hades Town does is makes that so explicit that that was what Hades' intentions were to be like, yeah, I'm gonna split them up. You know, their their Orpheus won't be as strong when he can't see Eurydice. Um and I think that's like really beautiful in a way to be like we are strongest when we're in community. And so like kind of the main mechanics of the right starts is you have everyone has their own individual dice pools, which are called alienation dice. And you take those when you do something to help yourself as opposed to the group. And then you have a dice pool in the middle called the community pool, the community die. And you put dice in there when you do things to help your group and kind of to figure out whether you succeed or fail at your challenges, you roll all those dice and whichever one comes up with the highest number, that's like, you know, if, if it's a community die, then you succeed. If it's an alienation die, then you fail. And if you were the one of the people who had one of those higher dice, then like other kind of corruption-y eh, stuff happens. Um, so it's, it's a story about how, doing a revolution in the underworld. Basically like, what if Orpheus did stay and he did do that revolution he was talking about? No, <laughs> um, again, I did write it before I knew about that song. So I, <laughs> nice Mitchell, you know, I have lawyers. Um, I don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, well, you can, yeah. you can, you can use our imaginary lawyers in, oh, in case that happens. They, that's they, that's awesome. role playing. <laughs> um, there, there is one game that I do specifically have to talk about um and i want to know kind of how you you started developing this because i'm getting I'm, I'm getting insight from you here that that you internalize um a lot of things that are going on around you and then spit out this major creativity which is really freaking cool um Thanks. you're welcome how wh what was your approach to developing uh doikat and how did you like first of all hold on let's back it up a little bit what is this game tell people about it if they don't know how what's the kind of elevator pitch of this game here yeah so uh Doakate is an anthology of jewish tabletop rpgs um organized by myself and jr goldberg um you can see more about all of the games on it there's um i think there are 12 I really should know that. I've done all the layouts of them at this point. Um, there's there's 12, I think, um, games in there by a bunch of different um, Jewish RPG designers about kind of our different, uh, you know, views on Judaism, the culture. You know, there's there's some stuff that's about Jewish folklore. There's some stuff about, like, very modern Jewish culture. There's stuff about, like, more, like, Torah stories. Um, there's There's a bunch of really cool stuff in it and oh you can find more information um at metagame.itch.io slash doakate that's d-o-i-k-a-y-t it's it's really cool it's very compelling um i was saying before I, i'm telling everybody about this game um super i'm super super excited about it um i was talking to um 
my my father about it and he's like oh yeah it's very cool i'm like all right no you need to be <laughs> as excited about it as i am um <laughs> but alas he is not um what did you what was the process of developing this game like first where did the idea come from and how did you how did you go about um how did you guys go about developing this thing yeah so actually what kind of started it is um i last summer back when you could go places during the summer and do, the do things times. with people um, I went to this seminar thing called Cornerstone, which is, um, it's like a retreat thing for returning Jewish camp counselors because, um, I can't do it anymore. I missed my last summer, which kind of sucks. Um, but the past three years before that, I was a camp counselor at, um, a Jewish science and technology camp as the tabletop RPG specialist, which is an extremely cool job that a lot of people have. Um, and so I, I was in like this. I don't know what they called it, like a workshop um, uh, that was about like writing specifically. And so there were different kind of prompts that we were given whenever we were in that workshop um, to, to write different things. And instead of doing that, I spent all of that time writing a game, <laughs> um, which was fine. The instructor thought it was very cool. Um, uh, and then I, I, I finished writing it at the airport um, on my way back. Um, it's called Ayeka, which is also, it's going to be the game of mine that is in the anthology. Um, and it is, it kind of sprang from, like, right before Cornerstone, I'd been talking to my friend, Mac, who is also in the anthology. Um, they wrote a very cool game about literally wrestling God, um, about kind of, like, the the way that more traditional kind of RPG lore is the way that gods work is so Christian and just like is so not representative of the Jewish experience at all. And right. we had actually tried before that to write something that never really ended up going anywhere. Um, but that was kind of the main crux of Ayeka was I wanted to write about a Jewish relationship with God. So it's a two player game where one of you is, a, a, I think I called it a creation. Um, and one of you is a God and it's about like your interactions and the way that like, your meanings are misinterpreted by the other um and stuff so that's kind of where it started and then jr who also has written uh, had written jewish games um before that dm'd me and was like hey we should do a jewish rpg anthology and i was like oh that sounds cool <laughs> so so that's kind of how it started um and then actually he did a lot of the the like legwork coming up because that was like, like the, he probably DM'd me in, like, May of last year, and I was working at camp. So I was working, like, a 24-7 job. I was not on my computer very often. So he set up, like, Google Forms to have people pitch stuff. Um, and then when I got back from camp, I looked through all the stuff. We agreed on, you know, who we wanted to be in it. Um, I did most of the planning for the Kickstarter because um, I – love doing kickstarter planning now it's a thing i do for fun i guess that's the kind of person i've become um you know there's so many but there's so many kicks kickstarters that don't do it all that well um i think you guys did it perfectly and i think people should probably look at that as a little bit of a model because i mean you see kickstarters and it, they even if they're whether they're funded or not, just the way that you you organize it, the way that you engage with with uh, the audiences and and kind of you know the stretch goals and everything else. I mean, I think it's it's definitely a little bit mix of art and science and probably a lot of fun to develop. I'm sure. 
yeah, yeah. I I definitely. I I honestly I had stopped after because I did I did one more Kickstarter a couple months after um, Doa Kate and after that one ended um, I was like okay I am done with Kickstarter I'm tired of it um, and then like quarantine happens and I was just like I am tired of everything actually um, <laughs> then then um, my good friend Jay Dragon just launched a couple weeks ago Wander Home um, which if you somehow haven't heard of it, it's it's an incredible belonging outside belonging style game about um, like playing animals who are exploring a pastoral world. Um, it's very good. Uh, absolutely blasted through stretch goals. And I've just been living vicariously through that for the past three weeks. Um, so that kind of got me back into the Kickstarter thing. And now I'm back to like writing hypothetical budgets in the notes app of my phone. And it's a great way to spend my time, I guess. And there's nothing there's nothing that helps to kind of fuel that fire than having other people that are just as excited about the project that you're looking to kickstart or, you know, develop um, or, or bring to the world and having other people, even even when you were you were at, at um, working at camp and, and having other people kind of help keep that fire lit and you come back to it and you go, oh, this is a lot more. It's a lot brighter than, than it was before. Mm-hmm. It, there's something about this. It's like collaborative storytelling in a way. Um, but it's, it's you know, a collaborative work. Yeah, and, Kickstarter is a game. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to get an understanding of how these games are, um, I guess, snackable um, or how they are, I guess, digestible. Because it's an anthology of games, but essentially they're a sit-down and play like one shot it's not like ongoing you know long couple game campaigns right yeah so most of the games um i can tell you this because i've been laying it out um like last month um so some of the i think the shortest game is like two pages these are um you know like zine sized uh 5.5 by 8.5 pages um So I think probably the shortest one is two pages. Most of them are four to six pages, and there's like one or two that are eight pages. So they're all they're all pretty short. Um, some of them are like very clearly one shots, you know, that have like this is the end. Some of them are more LARPs, which are also one shots, but like, you know, they're LARPs. Um, some of them are definitely more. You could play them for longer. Um, one of them is not even a game. It is like a list of suggestions for uh, like adding Jewish folklore and world building into you know, some other game that you're playing. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think those are all the types. This That last one in particular is, is, is really interesting, especially because, you know, um, how, like you said, how gods are, are interpreted or, you know, utilized in, in tabletop games are a very, uh, either Greco Roman or Christian approach. Yeah. Or just pretending to be Greco Roman, but are actually Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so how how does this game go? How does uh, Doikate go about kind of gamifying and f- featuring the the personal relationship that people have with God, along with highlighting the Jewish experience? Like you gave us a little bit of insight on 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 that you know kind of one on one shot, but how specifically does that help the Jewish community kind of connect with their own Judaism? And how does it help, um, you know, non-Jews connect with Judaism and understand it better? Yeah, I mean, for, so I'm trying to think, I'm going to feel so bad if I like forget one that is specifically about God, but I think the only two 
in the anthology that are specifically about relationships with God are Ayeka, which I kind of already mentioned. And um, mm-hmm. if you can't take the heat, get out of the ring, which I also kind of mentioned, which is um, the game about literally re- being being in a wrestling match and being booked to wrestle God. Um, I love that. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a wrestle, I'm a pro wrestling fan, so that one is very exciting to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's good. Um, I don't know a ton about wrestling, but I love to hear people talk about it because it sounds wild. Um, yeah, so I think I think those are the only two that are specifically about a relationship with God, and that really says something about the way that Jews like our relationship with God as opposed to you know like Christianity or other religions where it's like, yeah, it's either about literally talking to God and like having a rapport with God or wrestling God doing a play. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or not. I mean, or connecting because, you know, being Jewish is, is just as much as being a part of a community, being a part of your own family, um, as much as it is your relationship with um, God or, or religion or gosh, even, um like super normal experiences totally like like as i said you know the rest of the games aren't about that so you have some that are about like you know this is how you can play as a version of this jewish folktale or or this you know folklore this is um you know this is a game all about being a golem or you know there's one that's literally like this is a larp about being in a Jewish in a Jewish family with like these specific relationships, um, having dinner on Christmas at a Chinese restaurant, you know. So yeah. like, like, there's a lot of different aspects of Judaism, you know. That whether that those are about like specifically religion or history or you know culture and family. Um, yeah, that's that's the. I mean, like I'm an atheist, you know. I wrote a game about having sure. a relationship with God, but like I I have never really believed in God, and like I'm still Jewish, and that's cool. That's I mean that's that is one of the cool things about Judaism and the Jewish community is that there you know it's it's kind of there's levels of of belief, and I think it's with uh, to be perfectly honest, I think it's with with every religion or group of people, right? Like you, even for those who grew up in a Christian household. And, and if anybody asks, they're saying, well, yeah, I'm Catholic. Um, but really on the day to day, do they actually believe what's their relationship with, with God? It's like, I don't know. I don't really have one. I, I go to church on Sundays every once in a while when my grandmother makes me. And, you know, obviously on Christmas, um, you know, that's kind of one of those individualized experiences. I think that everybody kind of has, you know, whether it is a relationship with God or, or, or no relationship with God, or even a relationship with a culture and looking at and loving that culture that you come from, but also kind of, you know, side-eyeing and, and maybe side-eyeing is not the right word, but um, maybe kind of being attracted towards um, other religions or, or forms of spirituality or, or um, ideas or belief systems that are not necessarily where you come from. Yeah, totally. So is there a plan? Because this is, this is such a cool concept, and I, I almost feel like, I almost feel like this could definitely work as this like ongoing thing, this ongoing publication, um, kind of like they used to do with with um, tabletop games back in the day, with uh, you know magazines. I'm a huge fan of Vampire the Masquerade, and White Wolf Magazine is kind of was kind of the the channel in which they delivered the world of darkness to people, and it would be this. <clears throat> you wouldn't buy 
back in the day, not just like one core book, but you had all these other zines that would come out. And if you look at games like Morkborg, for example, which I highly suggest you check it out just for the art alone, um, very cool game, but they're kind of doing this thing where they, they release the book and then they have these little kind of scenario or supplement magazines that are coming out and it feels almost like a zine. Is that, is there, have you, have you or your team kind of talked about um, Doi Kate and, and kind of bringing it further? Obviously post release of this game, it's kind of riding that afterglow of finally releasing this thing, but is there, has there been whispers or, or talks or considerations of continuing this? Um, I, I don't think that that will probably happen. Um, just mm -hmm. because personally, I, the thing that I really like about Kickstarter is that it's very good for my very ADHD brain where I can do a thing once, you know, feel comfortable that people are going to buy it and get it all out there and then be done. Um, that's like way better for my mental health. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would like, like just thinking about it now, I feel like I would feel kind of weird if like JR and I, set ourselves up as like the arbiters of what is a jewish rpg in that way um right. or like obviously this wouldn't have to be that but like that is something that comes to mind especially considering like you know we we try like like we could only get the submissions that we got you know but like they they all kind of ended up being like very ashkenazi based experiences right and and i wouldn't want to like set doakate up as like the only kind of like Jewish RPG experience. Um, actually though, um, Mac who wrote, if you can't take the heat, get out of the ring, um, has on their itch um, a collection of Jewish RPGs, some of which are going to be featured in Doakate, others of which are by people who are featured in Doakate, but other game, Jewish games of theirs and some of which are, you know, completely unaffiliated. Um, so that's that's at citadelofswords.itch.io if, if you want to look at some of those. Um, so I think, you know, if there are more Jewish RPGs that are written, I will definitely, you know, promote them. Those they'll be added to that collection, et cetera. So like, I think, you know, that's at least one way that we can continue the tradition. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to check that out because it's, um, it's, it's a compelling, it's a compelling genre of tabletop that, uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know why, but I've never considered it. Um, and once Doikate. Once I discovered Doi Kate, and to be, I don't know how I did. Um, I think I was just randomly searching on Kickstarter for random things, and it just <laughs> kind of showed up, or the algorithm showed it to me. I don't know. Um, but I found it, and I immediately got excited and said, yeah, absolutely, of course, yes, why not? Um, so Doi Kate is, is going to be, it, right now it's on, on pre-order. If anybody wants to play this game, if everyone wants to pre-order, I highly suggest that you do. I believe it's only twelve dollars, right? Um, yeah. yeah, you can. So, it's twelve dollars for the PDF, and there are also options to get um, a pre-order of the soft or hardcover print edition. Sweet. So there's going to be an actual. I'm I'm a bibliophile, and I like to absorb my games through um, a tactile medium. So that's that's fantastic. Um, Joycate can be found. Um, on your website, metagame.itch.io slash doikate. That's D-O-I-K-A-Y-T. Um, and Riley, what other projects do you have coming up down the pike that you might want to know, let people know about? And where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so um, I don't have anything that, like, unfortunately, because, you know, ho hopefully, eventually soon, I will write and publish 
an another game because it's it's been a while and I would love to you know be able to do that again. Um, but as for things that are coming out, um, uh, the other Kickstarter that I vaguely mentioned before that I did after Dolicate is called Venture and Dungeon. Um, it is one game by me. Um, so it's, it's Venture by me and then Dungeon by uh, J Dragon, who is currently, well, probably not currently when this podcast comes out, but currently, as in right now, um, Kickstarting Wander Home. Um, and so those are two um, different belonging outside belonging games, both inspired by uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So Venture is um, a, it's like an introspective kind of look at the different D&D classes. You know, I, I, I don't want to play a game where, you know, the cleric does a magic spell, you know, to heal people because, the, you know, they rolled four, 1d4 damage or whatever. I want a game that's like, wait, you have a personal relationship with a god? What's that like? You know, um, and looking at the paladin, like, oh, you're kind of a jerk, huh? What's that like? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, the paladin is my favorite playbook that I wrote. It was the first one that I wrote. It's, um, it's a whole thing. Um, and then dungeon is about kids playing D anD. d So you, uh, you not only are making your character, as in your player character, but you're also making the kid playing them as a player character and it kind of is about like the struggles of like middle and high school and kind of like all of the there are monsters that you can fight that are both actual monsters but also like metaphorical representations of like different high school kind of struggles um yeah, so like those bu are both bullies and parents and yeah so those are both very cool um and you can also go to metagame.itch.io slash vendon um to pre-order that there actually are, you can also download the actual, like, working play kits of those, but they do not come with instructions. So if you don't know how to play um, Belonging Outside Belonging, then you have to also buy um, Dream Apart, Dream Askew uh, by Avery Alder and Benjamin Rosenbaum. But if you're also in the market for Jewish games, Dream Apart <laughs> is a good one, because that's about um, a Jewish settle in, like, the 1800s. Um, aside from that, I have very tentative plans to eventually do um one of two or both kickstarters at some point one of which is um it's been a long long time which i mentioned um or a trilogy um of games based on hadestown um with my friend luke jordan who also wrote a game based on hadestown but both of those are a while away and i just say them to to build hypothetical hype for like a year from now or whatever <laughs> when one of those happens well um, hopefully there'll be hopefully there'll be droves of people that start making vicious demands that you develop these games to give oh, you some inspiration to oh god to listen listen i have adhd it's not gonna help you can tell me you're excited but like i my brain doesn't work like that i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay my brain doesn't work like that either in fact if someone says oh you know what you should do you should do this my brain all of a sudden goes i am not interested at all in any of this anymore yeah mood <laughs> mood <laughs> uh, but to answer the other question, um, you can find me online. Um, you can find my games at metagame.itch.io, as has been mentioned. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at jaceadax. That's J-A-C-E-A-D-D-A-X. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, I really do appreciate you letting me pick your brain a little bit about your game development <clears throat> approach and and, and Doya Kate. Um, everybody 
please go buy this game. Please go play this game. Um, it's very, very cool. Riley, thank you so much. Everybody can find me on Twitter at Marcosius. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-5-I-A-5. And if you are the owner of Marchosius without the fives, I'm coming for you. <laughs> thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com, on Twitter at GehennaGaming, twitch.tv slash GehennaGaming, and patreon.com slash GehennaGaming.